So if you have your Bibles, would you take them to 1 Corinthians? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We are on our eighth week of a six-week study on relationship. Welcome to the way we do things around here, right? We're on a week eight. This is going to be our last week on this series of relationships. We've taken um, a couple detours here and there throughout the, the way. And I, I know some of you are asking, what's next? What's next? Well, earlier this year, I felt led to uh, prepare a series called Why? The Reason God Does Everything He Does. And spent about four or six weeks talking about the motivation of God uh, in his work among the affairs of people people on this earth. So that's a a sermon series that we have out there. The the other sermon series is laying out a study on the book of Jonah, um, just hearing the the greatest fish story ever told. And so we've kind of taken a look at that. And then I thought we would go next into a series on first Peter, but I'm going to tell you, uh, um, uh, the last couple months have been different months for me uh, than I necessarily had anticipated. And so if you ask what's next, my my real answer is, I don't know, (laughs) but I know that God knows. And while I had planned on those series and and still trust that we'll be teaching through those different series sometime in the near future. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm going to ask you, church, as a family, would you pray that God would give deep discernment and direction to me and our other pastors and teachers as we look forward into what God is going to lead us into studying as a church family. I'm not entirely sure the sequence or the structure of the next series that we'll be going through. I know next week and and the week after that, I plan on just sharing some things out of my personal devotions, passages that have been meaningful to me over the last six months. But from there, um, we're just gonna take it step by step as the Holy Spirit leads. Is that cool? You good with that? Okay, if you're not, then you probably aren't a Christian. But uh, anyhow, so we're gonna just trust how God leads us. That's called Christianity. But let's look at our Father's Day text, this last sermon in this series on relationships. And I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'll read verses 14 through verse 21. 1 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 14, Paul writes this to the people of Corinth, the Christians in the city. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. That's a good phrase, isn't it? Man, that just jazzes me to read that. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit? Of gentleness. This is the word of God for us today on Father's Day. And I want to just point out the first and most obvious thing about this Father's Day passage that I felt led to preach, and it's this. Paul is not talking about biological fatherhood here. That's pretty obvious, right? Common sense would tell us he's most likely not the biological father of every person in the city of Corinth. I'm sure there's a joke there somewhere, but I'm not going to go down that road. But on top of that obvious common sense conclusion, verse 15 says, He's their father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Here's what Paul's saying. You are my spiritual kids. Through the work of Jesus in the power of the gospel, you're my spiritual kids. That's just another way of saying um, in, in, in a sort of responsibility 
a sort of stewardship. I have taken ownership of your spiritual growth and care. I've taken a sort of responsibility over, over pouring into your spiritual growth and care. And when I say responsibility, I understand we cannot make anyone do anything. We cannot be responsible in a certain way for the decisions our children or our grandchildren make. But there is a way in which we're called to be responsible for the care and the growth of other individuals. And here's what I want you to know. What Paul is describing here, this spiritual responsibility to oversee and invest in the spiritual growth and care of other people, that thing he's describing, that is something that God has called every follower of Jesus Christ to do. If you'll, you just noticed Chip sharing earlier, and, and if you've been around here anytime you've heard us share, that Jesus Christ gave us one mission. His people, all of his people have one mission where they live, work, and play. And that mission is to make disciples. You have one mission in your job. You have one mission in your home. You have one mission on this earth. And it's to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says, I'm a spiritual father to you, he's saying, I'm taking responsibility and ownership for your spiritual growth. And he's describing in his own terms here, he's describing the process of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so here's the deal. This message isn't just for dads. This is for everyone in this room. You're called to take the care and responsibility of other people's spiritual growth seriously and personally. And so there are two things that I really want to press or two groups of people that I really want to press toward in this passage this morning in this teaching. The first one is for all of you dads out there. On this Father's Day, I want you to hear this passage of scripture and this teaching, and I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to determine by God's grace that you won't just be a father. You won't just be a biological dad or an adopted dad or a stepdad or a father-in-law. You won't just be a father the way our culture says you should be a father. You would determine by God's grace that you are going to be a spiritual dad, a spiritual father, that you're not just going to relate to your kids like everyone else on your block relates to your kids. You're gonna take what Paul says and begin to pray. God, how are you calling me as a father to be a spiritual father? So that's the first thing. I want every dad in this room, every dad in this room to endeavor to be a spiritual father to the kids that God has placed in your life, no matter their age, no matter their stage of life. Dads, can you get that? You got that? You with me? (laughs) Woo! That was not encouraging at all. So since the dads aren't listening and the moms are saying amen, I think, uh, if you're not a dad, which by the way is everyone else, right? If you follow me, if you're not a dad, God has called you to make disciples. And these principles hold true. And so I want to encourage every, every non-dad in this room, ask God how he's calling you to take ownership of the spiritual growth and care of the people in your life. Around here we call this phrase, who's your five? You guys are familiar, who's your five? That's, the reason we landed on five is that's how many fingers I have on my right hand. And it was way easier to go, who's your five than who's your six? Something like that. So who's your five? That's, the, that's a way of reminding us, who are the people in your life that God has placed in your life where you live, work, and play so that you can relate intentionally for the sake of their spiritual growth and care for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. So that's spiritual fatherhood. So when I say spiritual fatherhood, I pray that's what you'll hear. Who are my five? Who are those I'm called to relate to? Let me tell you a little story. Friday, I woke up 
And I go out, I'm in the living room, my, my girls come out of their room, and, and my, my middle child, my, my older daughter, starts to tell me what she had been reading in the Bible that morning. And not only did she read in the Bible that morning, but she tells me that she decided to do something new. Before she left their bedroom this morning, she read her Bible um, all, all on her own, and then she said, and Dad, I, I didn't just read the Bible myself, I had Andy Kay read the Bible, that's her little sister, I had Andy Kay read the Bible with me. That's, that's a 10-year-old girl exercising spiritual fatherhood, all right? And then, and then, of course, she says, and it was kind of awkward because we were in Genesis 4, which is the story of, of Cain and Abel, uh, where a sibling kills the other sibling. And she said, we, we sort of jokingly said, man, I'm starting to get some weird ideas here. So anyhow, we, we gotta work, we've got to work on their biblical interpretation. But that's what I mean. Spiritual fatherhood. Who in your life is God calling you to relate to? And some of you would say, I can't name my five. And so for you this morning, you're going to be praying. God, who, who in my life are you calling me to take spiritual responsibility? The care and growth of, of their relationship with Christ, you've placed as part of my stewardship as a follower of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about spiritual fatherhood, dads endeavor to be spiritual fathers to the people God's placed in your life to call you dad. Everyone else, endeavor to be spiritual fathers to the people that God has given you influence. All right, we, we, we clear on that? If not, we're moving. Hey, thanks, bro. I really appreciate somebody saying amen. That was great. So here, let's go through three things, three descriptions of spiritual fathers. The first one is this. Spiritual fathers lead by example. Spiritual fathers lead by example. Look back at verse 16. Paul says this, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now, this is not unique to this verse. Over and over and over again in Paul's writings, he calls the people that he's relating to, to follow me as I follow Christ. Be an imitator of me. Do as I I do live like I live because spiritual fathers lead by example. Have you ever thought about the fact that basically everything we learn as people, we learn through compare and contrast. We observe the world around us, especially the people around us, and we use our senses to compare and contrast what we hear to what we say, what, what, what they do to what we do, how they think to how we think. Uh, this really hit me once when I was uh, uh, raising, or I'm still raising my kids, but my children were really, really small. My oldest, uh, my son, Logan, and he was really little and he had a stroller and a car seat that had this attachment of a steering wheel to it. Some of you guys have seen that, that, that steering wheel attachment over his stroller and his car seat. And what that meant is that everywhere he went, in the car or in the stroller, he had this steering wheel that made him seem like he was able to control everywhere that we were going. In that little steering wheel, there was a horn. And you could honk the horn. And at some point in time, I noticed that no matter where we were, no matter what we were doing, wherever we were going, in the car or in a store, that little kid would be furiously honking his horn over and over again. He was like this angry little old road ranger. ranger. And I was like, what is wrong with my boy? I mean, he is a terrible driver. He loses his mind every time he gets behind the wheel. And then it dawned on me. He'd been riding with his mother. And, and, and I realized, you like how I did that, right? Yeah. It's Father's Day, babe. Yeah. Hold on. Let, let me just admire my own work. That was good. Here's the deal. The reality is this. We all have a thousand stories like that we could tell. We learn by imitation. And spiritual fathers... Spiritual fathers don't reject that dynamic. They don't ignore that dynamic. Spiritual fathers embrace it. They choose to leverage their influence as a form of their leadership. They actually choose to do what they do, say what they say, go where they go on purpose. 
They desire to be the kind of people who lead by example. Just two really quick practical things that this would mean. If you're going to be a spiritual father who leads by example, it means two really, really practical things. First, it means you have to live with presence. Not the gifts you give away, but the fact that you're there. You live with presence and you live with purpose. You live with presence. Hey, hey guys, just, just a little, little thing here. You have to be there to influence your kids. You've got to be present. One of the reasons why we have inherited a culture of absentee dads is because little boys grew up with absentee dads who had grown up with absentee dads. They learned the lesson by example that there are times when work and hobbies and interests and friends and sometimes addictions and sometimes other things would draw them away from their families. And those boys grew up to be men who learned how to be fathers from a dad that wasn't around. And men, I I just want to encourage you practice a ministry of presence among your family be there if you have to make a plan make a plan ask yourself how many nights a week do we sit around a table and talk as a family how often do we have one-on-one conversations with the members of my family how many nights a week am I gone on business or gone on pleasure or gone with my hobbies how am I making up for my absence during the week on the weekend and listen guys I'm not trying to hash out guilt for you because I know many dads have responsibilities that draw them away from their kids. They have to travel regularly for their job or do other things or work late hours. I totally get that. But, but here's, the, here's the deal. When, when, and I'm going to tell a lot of stories about my child or my kids or, or, or my family. But uh, um, one, one day I was putting my son to bed. He was about, about a year and a half old. I'm putting my son to bed at night and I realized I, I rocked him to bed after dinner every single night and there was one night where we were really busy here around uh, the church and, and I'm rocking my son to, to sleep. He pushes away from my chest and he looks right in my face and he asked me this question, dad, where do you live? <laughs> and I said, um, I live here with you and, and mommy and Mia. And he said, no, you don't. And, and it hit me, right? It hit me. I had been gone before he was out of bed. I put him to sleep at night. I got home just in time for dinner and to put him to bed. And my son grew up thinking I lived somewhere else. And it was a powerful metaphor over my life. And it's a powerful metaphor over yours. If you want to live with influence in the lives of your children, whether they're your biological kids or whether they're spiritual kids, you have to be present. You have to live with presence and you have to live with purpose. Just being around isn't enough. How many times, guys, have you sat at a dinner table and realized you haven't heard a word that was said because you're still at work? You have to live with presence, but you have to live with purpose. God-honoring influence is not going to happen by accident in our life. You have to choose what you want to instill in your spiritual children. The other day, I ran into uh, my kid, one of my children's teachers, and she began to talk about the kids and ask about their summer. And then she, uh, she, she said this thing. She started talking about my son, and she said, you know, it's funny. He's a miniature you. And some of you guys who know both of us, you've said the same thing because on one hand, it's really funny. I get to see myself in this kid. He loves far side cartoons. He roots for the Ohio State Buckeyes. He does a really mean Elvis Presley. Thank you. Thank you very much. He's really good. It's fun to see in this boy myself. But on the other hand, I walked away. It was incredibly sobering, right? Because here's what I began to, to, to ask. 
what if Logan grows up to be just like me? Just, just like me. What if Mia and Andy Kay grow up to be just like me, the kind of person I am, the kind of person Emily is? What is going to be present in their lives because we intentionally wanted it there? And what's going to be there because we accidentally let it in? And here's the question that, that, that just sort of made me stop in my tracks as I was thinking about that. Do I live a life I want my kids to imitate? Do you live a life that you want your kids to imitate? It's actually even further than that. How did Paul come about to say, follow my example, be imitators of me? He was like that. He said that because the Holy Spirit of God stirred his heart to write that down. You know what that means? That means that God, the Holy Spirit, believed, knew that the apostle Paul lived the kind of life that God would want other people to live. So the question isn't even this, do I live a life I want my kids to live? Here's the question do you live a life God wants your kids to live right what needs to change what needs to be added or subtracted or multiplied in your life because the deal is this your influence is a God-ordained power that you have in the lives of other people and spiritual fathers embrace it they don't run from it is your life a life the Holy Spirit says imitate that be like that. Spiritual fathers lead by example. Let's go to the second point. Spiritual fathers teach consistently. Look at verse 17. He says, that's why I sent you, uh, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Now listen, just think about what's going on here. Paul sends Timothy to Corinth and he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Timothy, I'm gonna send him to remind you of the truth, remind you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have him tell you something that I've told you before. This is not new, it's not trendy, it's not tricky, it's the same old truth I taught Timothy, it's the same old truth that I taught you. He actually says, it's not just the same truth I taught Timothy, and the same truth that I taught you. He says, it's the only thing that I teach everywhere to everyone. What's that truth? What's, what's he talking about? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Let, let me just show you a couple of things. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter one, and let me just show you this. Paul has one message. He, he has one message that he preaches. You thought I was redundant. This guy has one message he preaches. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Go down to verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Go to chapter two, verse two, just a few verses away. For I decided to, listen to this phrase, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For the sake of time, we can't go through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, but over and over and over and over again, all the way to 
chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, Paul says, I prioritized my message and preached one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not to mention what he says in Romans chapter 15, where he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, not where it's already proclaimed, but where it's never been heard. Or or Galatians 6, 14, where he says, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Listen, guys, Paul had one message, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the deal for us as spiritual fathers. We have one message, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you notice that almost every single message I ever preach ends with the same basic application. And it's this. Here's why we need Jesus. Because we have one message. Over the last eight years, I, I've been, I was just thinking this week, over the last eight years, we have preached verse by verse through Revelation, through 1 Corinthians, through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 Timothy. We've been able to go through the book of James. We've gone through the book of, of uh, Joshua. We've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been able to go verse by verse through large chunks of Scripture. Over and over again, we've been able to preach, I pray, through the, the, the whole counsel of God. But as all the books and all the places that we preach, I pray there's only one message ever proclaimed from the pulpit of this gathering, and it's the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed to say it. We preach Christ and him crucified, buried, and risen again. And spiritual fathers, you have to know and love and live and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ all day, every day. Here's the reality. The gospel is not the starting point of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. Christianity is learning day in and day out what it means to live in dependence on the power and grace of Jesus to be and do for you what you can't be and do for yourself. That is Christianity. And if you started with the gospel years ago and have gotten over it, you've gotten over Christianity. It's not tricky and trendy that makes us mature in Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just share with you just a a small picture, one way in which that looks. Uh, Discipline. Discipline in a Christian family is not about behavior modification. Do you guys realize that? We're not just trying to control the behavior of our kids. Does, does, does it, it matter that our kids would behave a certain way? Yeah, it does. Does God want us to behave a certain way? Absolutely. But self-righteousness and legalism are about behavior modification and controlling our conduct. The gospel is about transformation, The gospel is about new life and spiritual fathers understand that. And so here's what we do. We we take every form of discipline as spiritual fathers and we make it a teaching lesson to teach the gospel to our kids. Our discipline in our homes, dads, should look like this. Kids, here's why we need Jesus. Here's why we need his forgiveness. And punishment doesn't ultimately come from mom and dad. Punishment comes from almighty God. 
And Jesus Christ died on the cross to take the real punishment for your sin. And this discipline is to teach you right from wrong. But the punishment was was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And you can receive the life and death and resurrection of Jesus or the punishment of God for your sins. But you need Jesus. You need Jesus. And dad needs Jesus. And mom needs Jesus. Here's the deal. Spiritual fathers consistently teach the one and only message of Christianity. And it's that we desperately need Jesus. We need his power to forgive. We need his power to live. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have a lot of time on this. I just want to give you, I want to give you a resource that's been really helpful to me. You guys can write this down. It's a short book. It's called The Gospel or The Gospel-Centered Life. And it's by a man named Robert Thune and Will Walker. I, I highly encourage those of you that are wondering, how do I make my life centered around the gospel of Jesus in every way? It's a great beginning point, a great resource. But here's the story. Spiritual fathers lead by example and they consistently teach the one and only gospel of Jesus. And it perfectly leads me to my very last point, all right? You guys can probably guess it, but I'm not gonna let you. Spiritual fathers depend on the power of God. Go to verse 19. But I, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, these false teachers who are trying to undercut Paul's influence in their life. I'm not gonna find out what these people have to say. I'm not gonna find out their talk, he says, but their power, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Guys, here's the story. Leading other people in their spiritual growth is not a matter of saying all the right things. Some of us get all tied around the axle when we want to, to influence other people in our life because we wonder, what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? Or how do I say it in exactly the right way? Or what if I mess it up? The deal is this, the kingdom of God is not consisting in talk. It's not about talking a good game and having the right lingo. As a matter of fact, there is nothing, nothing that will frustrate your kids more than hearing you talk about a Jesus who isn't changing your life. Nothing does more to undercut the gospel influence in your children's life like talking about a Jesus who isn't transforming your life because the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. And here's the point, here's the point. That's why we need Jesus, right? Some of you guys don't know this, but I played baseball all throughout my, my, uh, my childhood, I played Little League Baseball, I played Junior High Baseball, I played Varsity Baseball, and, and through the years of playing baseball, I picked up on all of the lingo. Here, here's one phrase you guys might know. Hey, batter, batter. Hey, batter, batter. Swing batter, right? Sweet. My kids love this. There's this comedian in Brian Regan who, who says, why are we teaching our kids to heckle other people? And, and when is that phrase, hey, batter, batter, ever going to come in handy? Like, are you ever going to go to a courtroom and find somebody saying, hey, lawyer, lawyer, hey, lawyer, lawyer, sue, lawyer, sue, lawyer. So anyways, that was a throw out to my kids. Hey, batter, I knew that lingo. We want a pitcher, not a belly itcher. Well, gamesmanship there, right? I was, I was responsible for many wins with just those chants alone. I knew all of this, this lingo. Hey, man, let's turn two. Two away, two away. Hey, let's turn two. I had this one where I loved to name the, the plays in a sense. So, hey, man, let's, let's, let's try a suicide squeeze. Hey, man, why don't you, why don't you come up here and bunt? Hey, man, why don't you do this? Or we'd, we, we, would, we would have this great field play, and I'd say, hey, that's a great 6-4-3 double play, man. Great 6-4-3 double play. Some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. I really didn't know what I was talking about, but I knew the lingo, right? <laughs> Here's the problem. I stink at baseball. Oh, I stink 
at baseball. I cannot to this day reliably throw a baseball to save my life. I still am certain that I hold the record for the most errors in one inning on my varsity baseball team. And I'm not lying at all. I am I'm almost certain I remember throwing five errors. I had five throwing errors. And here's the thing about that. I was playing second base, throwing to first. For those of you guys who don't realize what that means, that means I couldn't lob the baseball from this pulpit to first base. I could not do that at all to save my life. I absolutely stunk. I could say all the right things, but I could not put them into practice to save my life. My athletic director actually called me Dime Store. And some of you guys know about the Dime Store cowboy, right? The guy who wears a cowboy hat and cowboy boots, but doesn't even own or ride a horse. Well, that was me with baseball. I had all the look. I had all the lingo. I couldn't play the game. And the point for us this morning, guys, is it's not enough to know the lingo. It's not enough to talk a good game. It's not enough to say all the right things in front of your kids. It's not enough to have all the Sunday school answers because you'll be committing errors all over the place of your parenting and your leadership if all you are is talk because the kingdom of God does not consist in talk. It consists of power. And that's why we need Jesus. And some of you this morning, you need to be reminded of the power of Jesus. You need to be reminded of the power of Jesus to forgive. Because some of you dads sit in this room, and in various places, some of you have grown children, and you let the years slip away. Some of you feel like you've blown the first half of childhood, and you sit here on a Father's Day, and you're riddled with guilt. And you need to hear the power of Jesus to forgive. The Bible is clear that God in his grace and mercy has poured out his punishment on Jesus so that he would not have to pour out his punishment on us. And all our sin, all our sin has been nailed to the cross of Jesus. So if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from, and anyone know the next word? all to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Listen here, dads and moms and kids and grandparents, old and young. Listen, Jesus Christ is a great savior who has unlimited power to forgive you of all your sins. And the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of talk. It's a kingdom of power, the power of God to enable your own forgiveness. So if you sit here today and you think of the guilt that that riddles you when you consider fatherhood or parenting or husbanding or making disciples, nail it to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what God the Father did. Jesus Christ has the power to forgive, but not only the power to forgive, Jesus Christ has the power to live. Did Jesus stay dead? No, he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later. The gospel of Jesus is a declaration that Christ is stronger than death, sin, hell, and the grave, and that he rose again so that not only could he give his life for us, but so he could live his life through us. Do you remember what Jesus said before he went away? He said, it's good for you that I go away. Why was it good that Jesus would go away? He said... Yes, he he says, if I don't go away, then the comforter, the Holy Spirit will not come. Jesus, by his grace, has enabled it so that those who trust in Christ can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to live the life that only Jesus Christ can live. And here's the deal, guys. When it comes to taking responsibility 
for the people in our life, whether it's our children in our home, whether it's our coworkers at our job, whether it's our neighborhood or the neighbors in our neighborhood, whether it's the people on the golf course that we see every week, wherever it might be, if we're taking responsibility for those people, we're being called to do something we can't do. We're being called to influence people for eternally significant ends. And that's why we need Jesus. We need his grace to cleanse us from all of our sins and faults and failures. And we need Jesus to give us his power to live through us by the work of the Holy Spirit. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. So that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So rather than leaving today and being a dad who says, listen, I'm gonna get hopped up on some, uh, some emotional high and I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna train my kids in the way they should go and when they're old, they're not gonna depart from it and I'm gonna do everything right from here on out. Rather than rolling up your sleeves and getting pumped up to be a dad, a spiritual father, a biological father, rather than getting pumped up, here, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Call on Jesus. Amen. Confess your need for Christ. Trust his grace to be sufficient. Receive, receive the forgiveness that he kindly offers and call on him to live his life through you. The best prayer you're gonna pray in this day is, Jesus, if you don't do it, it won't get done. If you don't do this in me, it won't get done. I need you, Jesus. Before we, we leave, we're going to have a moment at the end of our service where you can talk to one of our pastors about your relationship with Christ. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you, don't, don't leave today without knowing that your sins are forgiven through the work of Jesus and that your life has been provided for through the life of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. But before we do that, we're, we're going to sing a song of praise. And I want to ask you to to join me in prayer, to prepare our hearts to praise Jesus for his grace. So if you just bow your heads, I'm gonna ask you to do this in prayer. If you know who your five might be, those individuals in your life that you're relating to for the sake of the gospel, right now just pray for them. Mention their name before the Father and ask him for grace and mercy in your relationship. Ask him for ways in which you can be present with them to leverage your influence. Ask him for the boldness to consistently declare the gospel, teach the gospel. Ask him for power to transform your life into the kind of life that he would want those people to have. Pray for those five right now. Pray for your five. Some of them are not born again. Pray for them to be saved. And that God would give you opportunity to share with them this week and they would believe. Pray for your kids. that God would work in your home, that your life in your home would be a display, a demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ and not just words. And would you pray for the dads in this room 
your own dad, the fathers you know, that they would be more than just biological fathers, adopted fathers. They would be spiritual fathers who lead by example and consistently teach the gospel and depend on the power of God. Father, I pray for the dads in this room. Specifically, I pray that they would endeavor by your grace to live as spiritual fathers, to live with a a ministry of presence and purpose as a demonstration of, of your grace and mercy in their homes. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know and love and live and proclaim the gospel consistently, that our kids would hear from us over and over and over again, this is why you need Jesus. This is why I need Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would fill the dads in this room with the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that only Jesus can live. God, we need you. We need you. And I pray specifically for those individuals in this room who are not born again, who if they were to die today, they really don't know that you are their father. They really don't know that their sins are forgiven. They really don't know that they would spend eternity in your home as your children. Lord, I pray that no one would leave this place without calling on the name of Jesus Christ to be saved. Lord, we trust you to do among us what only you can. We praise you for the promises of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we trust you will be more than enough for all that we need and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.